One thing I want to kind of add in on there is, yeah, that one of the biggest mistakes I see people make with any form of cold outreach or a lot of times really any sort of email or just digital communication with customers that they try to make the sale in the email. And I always try to tell people like, no, that the goal is a phone call. Like that's, you're trying to get to a phone call, start a relationship. And then once you have that, then you make the sale. And I see a lot of people, whether that's an inbound lead or they're doing outbound cold emailing, or even when they respond to someone who's like in a cold email, that says like, oh, hey, can you tell me a bit more about yourself? And they go into the full sales pitch. You just want to peak interest and get to the call. Like that's the goal. That is step one. From Bright Umbrella, this is Control ClickCast. We inspect the web for you. Today, we have Jake Jorgovan on the show to talk about strategic partnerships and cold outreach. I'm your host, Leah Alcantara, and I'm joined by my fab co-host, Emily Lewis. Today's episode is sponsored by Fostermate, a versatile web development agency specializing in custom application development, content management systems, and user experience design. Through partnerships with designers, agencies, and organizations, Fostermade is committed to building better digital experiences. Visit fostermade.co to learn more. This episode is also sponsored by Arcistech, who hosts this very show. Have their expert technical team manage your servers so you can focus on working on your client sites. They also happen to be an official Craft CMS hosting partner with various plans optimized for that, and they just expanded their servers to the EU. Sound good? Take 15% off the first three months of your single or multi-server monthly plan with the discount code CONTROLCLICK101. We'll spell it out in the show notes. Valid until the next episode airs, so sign up today. So we've talked about the basics of marketing your freelance business or creative agency on this podcast, and today we're taking the topic into intermediate territory. We'll be exploring a few marketing tactics Leia and I have actually tried with Bright Umbrella with varying degrees of success, um, primarily strategic partnerships and cold outreach. And to guide us on this journey is our friend Jake Jorgovan. Jake helps agencies and consultants win their dream clients. He runs an outbound marketing company, LinkedIn lead generation company, and blogs regularly at jake-jorgovan.com. Welcome to the show, Jake. Thanks for having me on here. Absolutely. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about yourself? Yeah. So uh, my whole background was that I actually used to run an agency. Uh, We were a video production agency and we did animation and design and graphics for stage productions at live events. And uh, when I had this agency, I had a business partner and we were 50-50 partners in the business. And he was incredibly talented at the technical side of things, really good at all the creative and just actually delivering on all the projects. And my whole strength was in the sales and marketing side of things. So Mm. I did a bunch of work in terms of getting us new clients. And uh, I got us clients like um, Telemundo and Hyundai and Fidelity Investments and Walmart and all these really big customers. Um, And so basically after leaving that agency and eventually splitting up that partnership, I basically started going out and for the past several years, I've been consulting and helping other agencies and consultants get more clients. Uh, So that's kind of been the whole focus of my career for the past few years. And even recently launched a new LinkedIn prospecting company, which is more of a done for you productized service called Lead Cookie, 
And uh, that's been another business I've spun up on the side as well. That's kind of uh, operates without me and everything as well. But that's another business that I'm running as well. Cool. So a little background for our listeners. We actually, Leah and I met Jake this past spring, late spring, at the How Design Live conference. For our regular listeners, you may remember we had Elise Bennon on the show at the end of last year to talk about marketing. And she had a full day workshop at How Design Live all about helping creatives better market themselves, get better clients. And Jake, you did a presentation sort of talking about some of the things that you've helped other agencies do to win these types of clients. And it was so practical, just Mm -hmm. like Elise's advice was on our show last year that we just absolutely had to have you on and sort of talk about some of these I guess I'm calling what we talked about with Elise our marketing 101 episode, and this is like our marketing 201 episode, (laughs) because I feel like some of the things we're going to talk about today are things that Leah and I started incorporating after we did some of the things that Elise had suggested to us as more basic stuff. So just a little background for our uh, listeners that we've seen firsthand how practical and useful Jake's advice is. So thanks for joining us today. Let's start with talking about strategic partnerships. Can you explain what that is in the context of a creative freelancer or an agency? Yeah, so strategic partnerships is probably one of the most common ways that I see most agencies or consulting companies or even freelancers grow. And a lot of people don't even necessarily think of these at first. It could just be, you know, a lot of times this is how people get started is they have maybe one or two people who just happen to refer a lot of work to them, or maybe they are working with a larger agency who gives them a lot of business or like there's a lot of different forms that strategic partnerships can take, but it's one of the most common ways that I'll typically see people getting a steady flow of work. And it's it's a great thing because, you know, if you set up one or two or three really good partnerships for your business, it can lead to a lot of ongoing work, a lot of repeat business. A lot of times these happen organically, but, you know, I'll just give some kind of, I guess, examples of what those partnerships can look like. So one um, client I worked with, which I'll probably I'll dive deeper into his story a bit later, but um, it's Nate Friedman of Sherpa 53, and he does Pardot consulting. So Pardot is kind of like the Marketo or the HubSpot that is uh, built Mm. by Salesforce. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, him, he partnered up with some actual Salesforce implementation consultants and he basically becomes like the back end. They do the Salesforce implementation and then they refer him part out work. So like that's an example of a great strategic partnership where those people are consistently able to send him business. For my own business, I do a lot of work helping uh, a lot of agencies and consultants figure out how to generate more leads, how to win new clients. But, you know, for that to really work. I need people that are actually positioned well. So, uh, for example, Philip Morgan is someone in the space who talks a lot about on positioning. And Philip has sent me tons of business and clients because after someone goes through his program, they get their positioning dialed in. It becomes a natural evolution of, okay, positioning is dialed in. Now we need to ramp up leads. Let's talk to Jake. So, like, that's another Mm -hmm. example of a good partnership there. Um, Another one that I spoke at at How was... There's a guy, Vinny, who basically went to a really large agency. So he's a small UX agency. I think they were maybe three or four people when he started up this partnership. But he basically had this guy that he just 
have hunted him down at a conference, met the guy who runs this agency that has hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, and basically got them to give him all of the work that was under fifty thousand dollars. Mm, and he mm-hmm, gives him a mm-hmm. referral commission back for that, but for you know his three person agency getting all these you know fifty thousand thirty thousand twenty thousand dollar projects on a regular basis was just huge for him and he's getting these massive big name clients working with major banks um, all this kind of stuff and so those are just some examples of what strategic partnerships can look like and everything yeah I, I think Leah and I can personally speak to all of those scenarios, I mean, even just thinking back to what you were describing earlier on when I started out, and I certainly didn't view it this way, but there were a number of people in the industry who sent me work. Yes. And on occasion would email them and say, hey, (laughs) I'm open. Do you have anything? But I just, I never viewed it as a partnership that has now evolved for Bright Umbrella. And Leah is really kind of leading this effort in our company where we are very intentionally looking at it as a partnership instead of just, you know, kind of being a, a bit passive in the sense of, oh, yeah, I'll take some leads when they come my way and I'll, I'll occasionally let you know that I'm interested. We're much more intentional in terms of what we're asking for from those partnerships and also what we're offering them in return. I definitely think that a lot of the things that we might be talking about in this show, you might have tried already Mm -hmm. or have thought about it. But I think part of the difference between like a business mindset versus a freelancer mindset is the strategy behind it and the intention behind it. Right. So like Emily mentioned, yeah, we've reached out to our peers before, you know, other agencies and various other scenarios like Jake had already mentioned, but it was never strategic. It was more like, I guess I should ask for it now. (laughs) Yeah. Things are slow. Maybe I should ask anybody if they have any ideas as opposed to kind of I feel like we walked away from the how workshop where Jake kind of underscored these partnerships being like, okay, we're going to double down on this. Mm -hmm. You know, that we're going to intentionally identify partners, agencies, or creative people that we want to work with and really invest in trying to build that relationship with a hopeful goal that in the long run, we'll get some work out of it. But really approaching it from a, Let's get to get know each other. Let's make sure you know what we do, what you, and we know what you do, and we know how to best work together kind of stuff, being really intentional about it. Yeah, and that intentionality definitely goes a long way. If you don't, um, some people will just kind of, you know, try to, like a lot of, I've seen a lot of people just set up, try to set up partnership calls, and they have this call, and then they like think there's just going to be work the next day. But the truth <laughs> yeah. is like... You, you have to invest time into these. And so it's not just, you know, the yeah. first being like strategic thinking about who are good partners, how do I actually go and engage with them? But you also have to build trust because it's, mm-hmm. you have to get them to actually like and trust you and everything. And that takes time. That often takes figuring out how do you create value? How can you reciprocate to them? So, I mean, one of the biggest things is just to figure out how can you create value for other people? And so, Whenever I'm looking to create a strategic partnership, I often invite them to be interviewed on my podcast. Then I might refer those people, you know, do they be interviewed on someone else's podcast to give them exposure? Can I refer a potential client to them or send an article or a resource to them that's useful? And all of those things, like all those little touch points over time help build trust and they keep you top Mm -hmm. of mind. And so, you know, 
in addition to like intentionally thinking through those, you've got to think about how are you actually going to nurture and build those relationships. Right. Absolutely. I, I want to get into that a little bit more, but I first want to backtrack to something you said. How do you identify these potential partners? So, you know, before we, you get into the intentional and strategic outreach and then the nurturing of the relationship, if you haven't already, if you don't already know of an agency, how or a partner or whatever, how do you begin that process of identifying who you would, I don't know, want or should? What, what are the rules for deciding? Yeah, so there's typically um, three categories of partners I would recommend taking a look at. And this is going to take some research and some kind of brainstorming on your side in order to figure out how to find these. But I mean, uh, legitimately, uh, I guess, like to give you an idea, like I even went through this exercise recently as I'm starting this LinkedIn outreach company. And I went through and I was like, okay, let's find all the podcasts out there. Let's find the online summits or the speakers. Let's find anyone out there who's speaking about LinkedIn and is not offering a competitive service to what I'm doing. And so literally, it was just kind of thinking of through that what that persona of an ideal partner is, and then just going out and finding those. So that's kind of the, you know, like, I guess, like the high level of it, of just thinking who that could be. But then there's also like, to give you kind of even more direction, there's three different typical categories that a partner could fall in. One would be like a, a partnership with a software vendor. And so I know mm. we talked about this, I think, um, at, you know, actually, I think we talked about this um, in my presentation with... Eric Reagan of Focus Lab. Focus Lab. Yeah, where mm-hmm. they basically, you know, they had a got a huge partnership with Expression Engine or not partnership, but they basically focused around that and kind of built their community around that software um, or that framework. And as a result of that, that became like a strategic partnership in a way by getting so involved and so closely tied in with that. Um, mm-hmm. There's a ton of businesses out there that are seeing great results from becoming Shopify partners um, or even Squarespace specialists in that sense. You know, there's like Infusionsoft experts. There's, you know, um, you know, Sitefinity or any of these other kind of like platforms or like Craft CMS. I know you guys work with. All of these are like software tools that you can build partnerships with. And if you actually get closely ingrained with the people that are running them or the communities around them, those can be great sources of work as well. So that's kind of like one different angle to look at them. And yeah, absolutely. Leia and I. And our listeners, especially from the EE community, will know about Eric Regan and Focus Lab. But, you know, a lot of our listeners actually started by focusing in Expression Engine because, you know, we were originally the EE podcast. So that's something that I wouldn't be surprised that if you're listening, you're like, oh, I never thought of that as a strategic (laughs) partnership. You just thought of it as an area of specialty, of expertise. But if you took it to another level and really doubled down on it, then it, it really would be that way. Like, for example, being a part of Crafts Community Partners or Expression Engines. What's the name the of their? The Professional Network. The Professional Network. And then keeping in touch with those people, not just signing up for it, but participating in the calls, participating in their quest for feedback. Like Jake was saying, you have to bring something to the table, too. Yeah, and it's something where um, I've seen it, it's, you know, and it's harder once a technology or a platform is more mature. But if you get in mm-hmm. the door early with a platform that you say this is going to grow and you can build that relationship early on. And like that's I mean, that's basically what Focus Lab did is like they got very early in with Expression Engine and helped kind of build that up. 
if you can get in early with that, um, like you're just, you can grow and ride the wave as that technology grows up. Mm-hmm. I've seen like Kurt Elster and his agency do this with Shopify where they just massive growth um, in their terms of their business as a result, because they were in there very early and they saw Shopify as a growing trend. They really honed their marketing and their partnerships and everything around that and basically latched on. And as Shopify has seen explosive growth over the past years, um, that's led to a ton of growth for their agency as well. So I want to focus a little bit about that and the fact that it's like, oh, so they got in early and they saw that. It almost feels serendipitous, though, <laughs> right? So what I want to do or try to figure out is how do you take away the serendipity and make it more database and intentionally based? Like, what should you look for when you're figuring out a strategic partnership? Yeah, I mean, I think with these software vendors, I don't know if I think there is a little bit of serendipity. I think it's honestly, I look at almost like really choosing to dial down and invest in one of those. Um, Like I I take a look at similar advice when my buddies gave me about investing in the stock market where he said, you know, look at this company and are they still going to be extremely relevant and and, in 10 years from now? And so Mm -hmm. if you can kind of take that same mindset as you're kind of going through, you're doing your work, you run into new software tools that you're working with, and you start to look at one, you say like, you just kind of follow that, you know, like Squarespace is one that I love. And I've just followed that company since they were very Mm -hmm. young, very basic in like how their platform ran. And I've watched it basically grow into this massive company. And there was a period of my time where I was even doing Squarespace design and everything and like, like rode that trend for a while. It's an interesting thing where I think I think it is just looking out and just being aware that that is an opportunity. And, you know, you mm-hmm. can't just go. I don't think I don't think it works to try to go hunt down tools to partner with. Um, right. But I think it does work to say, hey, we're starting to get work in this space. This is something that's interesting to us. And we think this tool is, or this platform is going to grow. Let's see what we can do to kind of like leverage that or kind of, you know, hone around that. And I think I would add, just based on our own experience, and this is true for both our strategic partners with software providers as well as our strategic partners with other agencies. But for us, we also, I think what kind of takes away some of that, maybe, yeah, I think the serendipity or maybe the risk is we know the people You know, it's not just that we, you know, use the tool and our clients are using the tool, but we know the people behind the tool Mm -hmm. as well. We have a relationship with them and that what they're doing aligns with what we're doing. So it's just a little bit deeper than the tool is useful for us. We also want to make sure that the relationship with the people feels genuine and aligns with our own values and business approach. Yeah, I definitely agree with that as well. Getting to know some contacts at the company. Um, is essential to kind of growing that as well. I think another thing that's worth mentioning, it's excellent suggestions on what you described to sort of identify potential partners that maybe aren't in your radar. But lo and behold, Leah and I, when we decided to get intentional about this, (laughs) we just thought about people we've known for like 10 years. (laughs) Never, ever thought to ask for the job. (laughs) Like ever. It's so funny because this always happens to us. But, you know, Alea, I'll let you describe it because you've really led our efforts in this area, but about how we really formed partnerships with people we've known for a decade. 
Yeah. I mean, the long story short, as Jake mentioned at the beginning of the show was, you know, when you're starting to figure out like, well, what am I even looking for? How can we benefit each other? And nailing that first and foremost. But when we did that, we realized we already knew people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we already knew people that could, <laughs> that fit that mold. And it's not, okay, it sounds like I'm making it simple, but it isn't simple because it took us years to get to this point. Mm-hmm. But once we nailed that down, we did just literally asked for a small meeting we listed exactly, you know, in front of us what we'd like to give. And then we asked them what they would like from us. And because it was so clear how we could benefit each other after those calls, I think we closed like two new projects. Immediately. Immediately. It was one of those (laughs) things where it's just like, it literally blew our mind because it wasn't like they didn't know what we were doing before. Because Mm -hmm. they've known us for a decade. They've seen us at conferences. We've had conversations with them. We've had them on this podcast. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's insane. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because, you know, how Jake mentioned that it does take time, right? And we have put the time in building these relationships. The problem was we never actually asked for the job. We never actually sat down and tried to figure out what value we brought. Mm -hmm. And then when it was super clear, super specific what those things were, and we just stated it to the people we had built those relationships with, they were like, yep, check mark, light bulb Mm -hmm. moment. Oh yeah, I have this thing that's happening right now that I need your help with. Yeah, and I just want to underscore that for our listeners. It wasn't reaching out and saying, hey, we, you know, we do some craft work and we do some design work and, you know, all the things that we can do. It was really getting narrow. And for one of these engagements, we pitched accessibility work. We thought that was an area they didn't have a need that we could fill. We didn't bombard them with everything we could do. Yeah, absolutely. Similarly, another agency, very strong in CMS work. Why would we pitch that to them? Instead, we offered Leia's design expertise. So, it really was being specific, not trying to say, hey, we can do everything, but saying, hey, we do this one thing really well and we think we can help you with that. Yeah, that, that specificity goes such a long way, especially with partners. Um, like mm-hmm. everyone thinks like, oh, I want to let these partners know all the different things we can do. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. literally like you're, they're just like if they can't put how they're going to use you in a very clearly defined box, like they're not going to think to refer people to you. And so it's like even with my uh, like my consulting when it's been more general, I got referrals and stuff here and there because I was focused around this idea of like helping agencies and consultants win clients. It was niche, but as soon as I came, had like the LinkedIn prospecting um, service, mm-hmm. it's like this is really really specific. This is like very crystallized and clear what this is. And then I mm-hmm. emailed my partners and the same thing, and I said this is exactly who I'm looking for. Who is a good customer for this? And immediately you start getting referrals, but they need that kind of specificity. Uh, if you just try to yeah. give someone like a broad, you know, like, oh, just if you know anybody, send us our way or these are all the things we can do. They're just not going to keep you top of mind versus, you know, mm-hmm. saying yeah. that when that specific exact need comes across. I just want to add this one point. I feel like for me, at least, it felt very difficult not saying, hey, we do all of this stuff because I was almost mm-hmm. afraid that if we pitch something very specific and they didn't need that specific thing, 
they wouldn't think of us for any of the other five things we can do, which is a scary feeling when you're trying to get work. This is all to build leads. But if you're specific, like Jake said, you're going to stay in their mind. You're developing a relationship. This isn't something that just happens with one call or one email or one anything. So, you know, let that fear go. You know, focus instead on being valuable and useful to this relationship. And I think that was something that was emotionally very difficult for me to be like, Mm -hmm. how can we only tell them this one thing? Well, (laughs) the other thing that I also want to point out, and I think is still an ongoing struggle, especially when we're doing this demystifying the web series, is the fact that like right now, actually, even now, we almost automatically went to our skill set. We were like, oh, we can do yep. design, we can do CMS, et cetera. Yes, good point. So that's not the only thing you can be specific about. So let's think about this. A lot of people listening to the show know what we know. You know HTML, mm-hmm. you know design, CSS, craft, expression engine, right? So there's got to be something else you need to figure out that's different, right? And one of the things when we are having these calls um, with these particular prospective partners, we don't just focus on the technology. We also let them know what niche market mm-hmm. we prefer. So especially since we have software partnerships, for example, Emily and I, Bright Umbrella is a craft CMS partner, for them to be able to point projects towards us, well, everybody in the craft partners know how to do craft. So, <laughs> so then what's different? Emily and I specialize in education sector, learning businesses, entrepreneurs in that, you know, nonprofit sector as well, right? And because we've stated that over and over and over again and became a lot more intentional over that, more and more leads have come to us because they're like, hey, they do this. So even though all these partners can probably technically be able to execute the project, Leah and Emily know this type of people. Leah and Emily know this type of work, this type of organization and the subtleties that are necessary in order to be uh, successful in a professional relationship because it is different working in different particular sectors and that knowledge in order to actually fulfill the craft CMS project is different as well. Yep. So Lan, I've shared some of our personal experiences. This is something that we haven't done, so I wanted to pose this question to you, Jake. In your experience and what you've seen with your clients, is it necessary to have like contracts or legal agreements when you do forge some type of partnership? Typically, I've seen some people do it, but if they do, what we typically, what I would typically recommend and see is people doing a very basic one page contract. So, you know, some people I literally write this up themselves. It's not even like wouldn't stand up in court probably, but just having like a one page contract that just clearly outlines what it is. It's pretty much what I see most people do. Um, I don't see most people go on and doing full length contracts for these uh, just because like it's you're not exchanging money quite yet. Mm-hmm. And for the most mm-hmm. part, you know, like you're it, it just like this stuff can be done completely on handshake agreements. Most of mine are on just handshake mm-hmm. agreements. Um, and then so the contracts give you like a little bit of clarity or just making sure people are aligned on expectations. But I see a lot of people not even actually take it that far. Yeah, I think we've only signed, 
I think we signed something with one of our partners. Yeah. I don't recall what, but it was something that they required because they had an established program yeah. for referring work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And it basically, the summary was just don't badmouth us and don't steal our <laughs> clients. That was literally the, that's the gist of the, the legality. It was just more like, just don't badmouth us and don't steal our clients. Yeah, and I'd say like the partnerships I have, like that probably could be good in some cases. But again, th- those are good if the relationships go bad. But yeah, you know, mm-hmm. if you've got good people, then hopefully you don't need them. But that's that's pretty simple. So, <laughs> you know, once you do start involving clients or money, I think you should do whatever your standard documents are for subcontractors or whatever the terminology is when you outsource or if you become an outsource resource to another agency. For example, one of our partners, we did engage. They had their documents. We had ours. We all signed them. So just to cover everyone's, you know, general processes and stuff. So I don't think just because you may have an agreement would, you should still do your normal general contracts when you are talking about engaging in a real project that involves clients and money. Let's talk a little bit about that nurturing aspect, Jake, before we kind of shift to talking about cold outreach. Mm -hmm. So when you have established a partnership, do you have some tips for how you nurture it, how you keep that relationship going over time? Yeah, I just, you know, the biggest thing is to just think about how you can create value for those people, whether that's giving them exposure some way, whether that's providing useful resources or information to them. Whether that's kind of even just giving them some of their own tips and stuff. Um, I think Nate, with some of his Pardot work, was even trying to like advise or help, you know, the companies that he they were referring him work on how to improve their processes better. It's a matter of just thinking about like, what can you do to create value or just continue to deliver something for those people? And if you're putting out useful content, that can be helpful. Sometimes that's even really useful if, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep you top of mind and everything like that. But yeah, just the the biggest thing is just to think about creating value in some way, shape or form. Can you refer people to them? Can you send them, you know, contractors or employees that they could hire? Like, what can you do to just show up on their radar at least once a month with something useful that's going to build trust and create value with them? That's really kind of Mm -hmm. the the mindset with it. And then just trying to have some sort of system to try to say, hey, monthly, let's check in on this or to have a list of them and just like once a month go through those and say, Oh, let's like, do we need to take any actions or is there anything we can do? And just keeping those organized just goes a long way to keep those touch points happening. And Leah, I think you can confirm this, that we've had success taking that approach. It was, it's actually one of the three foundations that Elise suggested to us was to establish a regular outreach effort Mm -hmm. to, people we already knew, people we already had relationships with, and take that approach of being generous and trying to find something useful. I think the only thing we aren't doing, and it's simply because we can't, we're not a big enough agency to do this monthly. So I think for us, it's more like a quarterly outreach cycle where we're making sure that we're reaching out to our partners and the people on that list with something we hope is useful for them. Yeah, I think that that's a good cadence. And then if something pops in your head, for example, I did a podcast interview recently and it was just like a phenomenal interview. And I was just like, okay, I need to send this to all like these, like these, this, this, and this person like this. I know that they're going to love this one. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes it's stuff like that as well, where you just have that opportunity and it just pops in your head. And then other times it's, you know, quarterly just to make sure you don't let it get out of hand. 
Yeah. And I do think that it's important, again, if you don't have a strategy, start now, because if you just kind of like just do it on the fly, it will fall on the wayside because you'll get Mm -hmm. busy with actual work (laughs) that you're doing. But if you have a schedule, then there's reminders to let you know like, oh yeah, I should check in with this person. Mm -hmm. And I was actually on Slack chat. Um, There's this uh, sub channel in the craft Slack chat called Shop Talk, where we're just all literally talking just business and like how we're all running our businesses and all that fun stuff. And there's such a reluctance to follow up with people. Mm. And I know Emily and I had to get over that. Like we were like, are we being pests? Are we being annoying to these people? And the main thing is you can be annoying if you are annoying. Like if you're, (laughs) if you don't think about the value and you send them like emails that make no sense or are not targeted to them or mm-hmm. is not personable that yeah of course you're going to be annoyed but if you are strategic and thoughtful and have actually thought about the value that you're bringing like even if it is just a small like blog post that you think that they'd really like to read why would they be annoyed if you think it's going to be useful to them? They wouldn't mm-hmm. be annoyed because it's going to be useful to them, right? And persistence is not the same as you're not a Spanning. telemarketer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think like everyone is like worried they're going to be a, a telemarketer of some sort. But let me tell you, persistence means dollars. Yep. There's so many times where prospective partner or prospective client, they just don't email you right away because they have a job. You know, right? they, have, they have a job like you have a job. Things get busy. They get, you know, a ton of emails too. And sometimes they don't get back to me for a month mm-hmm. and that's okay. And nobody is upset about it, really. Like after you're like, hey, remember I sent you this email it sometimes it just takes two seconds. I mean, don't be accusatory in that email. Just be like, hey, just want to check in if you got this or if it went to spam or whatever. And half the time, that small follow-up leads to a phone call, leads to a job. Yeah, and I, I literally wrote a blog post on this one this past week where I say that like the most valuable action that I do is like the 30 minutes each week that I follow up with people. <laughs> because Ooh, it's yeah, like you, yeah. you you put that in there and I'm just like, oh, and literally I might send an email that's, hey, checking in on this. And then suddenly like, oh, yeah, sure. And then like, yes, and then bye. And it's like, oh, well, that was exactly. easy. <laughs> so it's like, but it's it takes that follow up. And I even did my follow ups this morning and everything. And yeah, I mean, sometimes it's, you know, reaching out to a person person for the fourth time after not responding, responsive, then I'm hitting them with a LinkedIn message too. And a lot of times I'll be like, hey, I'm not sure if you got my email, but it works and it converts people over. And it either, you know, I, I have the rule that I don't take no response as a no. So yes. unless someone gives me an actual no, I'm just going to keep following up weekly or every other week, you know, in terms of just staying in front of them. And yeah, basically, if they don't tell me flat out no, then I will typically keep going. And sometimes if they say no, and I still think that they need what I am offering, I will actually sometimes fight that a little bit. If I really think Mm -hmm. that they are a good prospect and they would benefit from it. So Mm -hmm. um, that's just the mentality of like, if I really think I can help this person and I think that I'm like the best choice here, then like you'll kind of push back beyond that no a little bit. 
I think it's really about, you know, once again, we we come to this theme all the time as designers and developers by trade who became business owners who are trying to run businesses. It can really feel extremely uncomfortable mm-hmm. to do that. You know, like Leah was saying, she's under describing how much <laughs> this kind of stuff we worry about it, where we we say, should we follow up? Is it OK to follow up? We almost need each other to say, yes, do it. But this is how we're going to grow this business. This is how we are going to forge those relationships. It's not going to work any other way. Right. And you can translate that mentality. If you're not a fan of email, you're not a fan of calling, then apply it to in-person, you know, forging those relationships, staying up on those, you know. But either way, you have to put yourself out there with intention and persistence. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> but it, I mean, it really, it really is a mind shift mm-hmm. to get to this. So, like, we're saying all these things, but it is definitely easier said than done to reach out, especially like if there has been radio silence. I think the most important thing Jake has said this episode thus far is silence isn't a no. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Silence is not a no. There's several reasons why people, you know, don't respond right away. For example, like it could be as simple and as stupid as your email going to spam. It really can be that simple. And if you don't follow up, then you'll never know whether that that was the case and they would have responded to you right away if you hadn't followed up. And again, if you have built a relationship with these people, why would they be upset for you reaching out? I'll jump in real quick with that story I even shared with you guys right before the call here. But I literally had someone who I knew was a great prospect, was following up with them. They were not responding. I called them, found out my emails were going to their spam, and they signed Mm -hmm. like a $5,000 deal right there on the phone. And it was just like, oh, wow, I really need to call these people after a while. (laughs) (laughs) It's just one of those things. And I've I've had that happen multiple times. We were talking about the spam issue before, but, you know, it it can happen to anyone where, you know, literally, you know, if they've got a firewall or they've got something set up on their side, uh, your emails might just not be getting through. And that's why I always do the LinkedIn outreach or I've even done Twitter or just whatever I could do to get in touch with someone, call them on the phone afterward as well. And just if they're not responding to those first few emails, try other means because you actually never know on that. So. Yeah, excellent point. You know, I want to make sure we do have an opportunity to talk about cold outreach. And I actually think it's it kind of goes in hand a bit with strategic partnerships if you're reaching out to partners you've never reached out to before where there is no established relationship. So is that how you would define cold outreach? Reaching out, there's no existing relationship? Uh, yeah, that's how I would say it would be cold outreach, you know, and then warm would be if maybe you've got some sort of connection or some kind of past, you know, engagement or mutual contact or something there. But yeah, I would say cold would basically be your, you know, you found these people online, you think they look like a good prospect and you're going to reach out and try to directly kind of start a relationship or uh, any sort of business right out of that. Why would an agency consider cold outreach as a strategy? What is the benefit of it? Yeah, so the the thing is where most agencies sit is that they get all their work from referrals and word of mouth, which is good. 
And, um, you know, that means you have a great business, you're doing good things, but often after a while you realize that's out of your control in an extent. And so mm-hmm. um, a lot of times people then start adding content or blogging or other things to get more inbound leads, which is great. But again, it's still can feel out of your control a bit as well. Um, you know, those are definitely great things to do. But um, with outbound, it's something that you can consistently do. And if you actually get good at it and you get a good process going, you can kind of make it more predictable to where you can say, okay, I know if I'm going to send out, you know, five emails a day and one out of every 25 emails converts into a phone call, out of every three phone calls, I get, you know, um, one closed deal, then that's basically one deal a month. Like you can just kind of, it gets, it's, it can become more systematic. So it's actually very good for, um, I think developers who are very systematic with stuff. Um, (laughs) so, uh, it's, it's, it's a kind of, you know, and it, it often can get you to the exact customers you want to, um, as like Elise, I know talks about, you know, there's good work and then there's great customers and then there's bad customers. And with outreach, you know, you can really start to say, okay, I want to only go after these people. And it's really targeted. You can kind of do that with content. You can kind of do that, hopefully, with referrals. But a lot of times, those can just be really anybody that comes through. With content, Mm -hmm. you're literally saying, hey, here's 100 companies. I want to go after these 100 companies that meet the exact criteria of who I want to work with. Um, And so those are just kind of some of the reasons why it makes sense to start adding this to the mix. It's not, I don't recommend people only go on outreach because it is a long sales cycle. But uh, it is a great tactic to add to the mix once you're you're ready to get beyond word of mouth and uh, and referrals. So a lot of people are reticent about trying cold outreach, and I think maybe because there's a ton of common misconceptions about it. Why don't you speak a little bit to that and why they're misconceptions? Yeah, so there's a lot of different ways that cold outreach are happening these days, um, and it's it's definitely a growing field. So. Literally over the past few years, there has been an explosion of software tools on the market that make it ability make it easy for anyone to mail merge and send messages out to thousands of prospects each week. So right. that is happening more and more. And so that's like one way of doing this stuff. But honestly, I've seen some development shops have success with that, but it's I see a lot of them fail as well. Um, the ones that mm. succeed tend to have very hyper niche focused on a specific area or, you know, there's, it's, but it's, there's some, but it, I, I typically see a lot of people fail at that as well. Um, and I've run some of those campaigns for development shops and they don't always tend to work that well. So that's like mm. one method is like the mass outreach. You also have, you know, still cold email, but really highly personalized cold email where literally everyone is handwritten. You're literally kind of researching someone. You're writing them a message saying why it's worthwhile for them to meet with you and have a conversation. Those can also, again, be effective as well. They take a lot more time and everything. But again, even if you do five of those a day, could definitely book a good number of meetings from those. And then you've also got other outreach, like the LinkedIn outreach aspect of it, where you're kind of just connecting with people and starting conversations casually or even doing outreach, like I honestly look at podcast interviewing as a form of outreach where I really think you have the mm. ability with a podcast, you have this platform and you're basically creating value for the other person is that you can use even interviewing as a form of outreach to start a relationship with someone. Absolutely. I think we are a good example of that because 
we met you at the workshop, but then you asked us to be on your podcast, and then we wanted you on our podcast. <laughs> and, you know, I also feel like, you know, it's the kind of relationship where if we had clients who had needs, we'd feel super confident sending them your way. You know, that's a perfect example. Yeah, and it's, again, and that's, again, where the podcasts are a great relationship builder. Otherwise, we probably would have met at the conference and may or may not have continued the conversation or talked after that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now we're like collaborating on these and, you know, who knows where this relationship could go in the future. You know, I think another thing that's worth mentioning about cold outreach, and I don't know if this is a misconception because it was my reality for cold calling. So one of the things Leah and I tried last year and part of this year was outreach quote unquote campaign that included calling as well as emailing. And it was the worst thing ever. I mean, it's just absolutely the worst thing ever. It got to the point where when I had a day that I had to make phone calls, I dreaded it. It just deep in the pit of my stomach. You know, you have people who are annoyed that you've called them. They don't know who you are. They view you as a telemarketer. You have dozens upon dozens of you know just leaving messages and hoping they're being heard and never hearing back. And it's just feels really demoralizing. The cold aspect where you're putting something out there and there's like nothing back. Yeah, it's um, cold calling, I think is, and it, there's fields that it still works in, but probably selling software development services or design services is probably not one <laughs> where it'll work too well. <laughs> you know, occasionally it can still work well for some product companies or software companies, but for selling, you know, customized development services, it can definitely be challenging. I did one interview with a guy on my podcast who is obsessed with cold calling (laughs) and he has built a system around it, but I think it takes a certain person to weather that. And he knows that it takes him 125 cold calls to close a deal. So that's like the 125. I know, but then he he calculates it down. He's like, all right, so every time I pick up the phone, I'm making $4 because I know that this is going to like every single call that's worth $4 and you Mm. run all those and like that based off of his like deal size. But that again, like I think to for to to send someone down that who hates that trajectory is probably a terrible idea versus finding another tactic that'll work. Like that's just, it's just one tactic. That's the thing that I think a lot of people need to think about with marketing and stuff like this is it's just, one of many tactics or routes you can go to get toward your objective. So you don't have to cold call to build a successful business. I do think part of the reason why our cold calling wasn't as successful as well was that it wasn't as targeted. I mean, we tried to. We tried to narrow it down, but I feel like the list of the people that we were looking at and contacting, they just, I feel like they really weren't the right fit because... Mm -hmm. When we did some cold emails to people that were very much the right fit, for example, we went to How Design Live, but there were a few people that we wanted to talk to and we actually never met, never saw their presentation, never all this stuff, but we saw from their bio, from, you know, all all these different things that like, hey, I think there's something that might be aligned with us. And when we sent them cold email. They don't know us from Adam, but it was a strategic email. Yes. Strategic, very clear, et cetera. Again, how we're aligned. Immediate 
feedback. I remember even like commenting to Emily where we're like, because usually we schedule this in and we tend to do it around the same week. So Emily and I get CC'd over like all these things. And then we were shocked that we actually got appointments (laughs) from them that week. It was crazy. It was just like, wow. So the difference is targeting. (laughs) Well, I think it's the specificity again. I think we learned some stuff with the success of the strategic partner outreach. Mm -hmm. And with specifically coming off of how with all of the good information we got from Jake and Elise and everybody at that workshop, we then started trying to be more strategic with that cold emailing. Right. You know, more personalized I think our cold outreach was too much trying to sell and not enough yeah. about trying to form a relationship. Yes. I, th- I think that's what it was wrong, maybe. Yeah, I do think that changing that angle and that tactic really makes a difference. And here's the other thing, too, and something that I think some designers and developers also need to get over to is don't be intimidated over the contact and their credentials as well, because they're also running their own thing. And Mm -hmm. as long as you bring value to them, they'll respond to you. So we've spoken to people who've done major things for major companies and they gave us the time of day. So, Mm -hmm. you know, don't feel intimidated as long as you think through what value you can bring and don't look at it as a sales pitch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing I want to kind of add in on there is, yeah, that one of the biggest mistakes I see people make with any form of cold outreach or a lot of times really any sort of email or just digital communication with customers is that they try to make the sale in the email. And I always mm-hmm. try to tell people like, mm-hmm. no, the, the goal is a phone call. Like that's you're yep. trying to get to a phone call, start a relationship. And then once you have that, then you make the sale. And I see a lot of people, whether that's an inbound lead or they're doing outbound cold emailing or even when they respond to someone who's like in a cold email that says like, oh, hey, can you tell me a bit more about yourself? And they go in like the full sales pitch. You just want yep. to peak interest mm-hmm. yeah. and get to the call. Like that's that's the goal. That is step one. Such a good point. And Leah and I still struggle with this today. I think what we found helpful and this certainly takes time and why we really can only fit outreach in like once a quarter. But we work together to draft those messages. You know, mm-hmm. we hold each other accountable to we literally have a list of are you are you talking to the, the person's need? Are you being generous? Like so we have to read our content and make sure we're hitting those points. So it takes a little bit more time to draft those emails even, you know, for a cold outreach. But, you know, once we've gotten to the point of an email that's very focused and really working, it then becomes like a template. So it's some upfront work to really hold each other accountable to our messaging. Um, But then it does become something that we can sort of, I don't want to say crank out because we don't ever crank this stuff out. We do try to personalize it, but essentially generate them more quickly. Yeah, there's so much... um temptation. And I know that, you know, Emily definitely pushes back on this where, because I do most of the sales emails, I want to already put the price. I already want to (laughs) like, I already want to put the description of the services. And Emily will always be like, take that out. (laughs) Uh, Just mention in one sentence what we could possibly do for them to benefit them. And if they want to talk more about it, here's the scheduling link to get them on a call. Mm -hmm. Because then at that point, we can get tone of voice 
interest, et cetera, and so forth. Well, even see if we like them. Yeah, too. exactly. That's so important to to really, really drive down. Make sure you want to work with these people too. Yeah. So Jake, before we wrap up, you know, do you have any suggestions for good measurements or metrics to know if your cold outreach or, or even your strategic partnerships are being successful? How do you know whether like like it took us for way too long, I think, of hating cold calling before we dropped it. How do you know <laughs> when to do that? Yeah, so uh, I'd say on the strategic partnership side, I set up a simple little CRM on my side. I have like ideas for strategic partners. That's one column as I just in researching find people that I might want to set one up with eventually. Um, I have like a partnership created so where we've had the discussion or we've met and I know that they could be a really good referral source. I have another one that's a column that's like an attempted referral. So that's another state. So that means they've tried to send someone my way, um, which is kind of an intent like, hey, this is actually a really good partner. They're actually sending potential prospects. Mm -hmm. um, and then I have another one just saying deal closed, which means they're actually a partner who has referred a customer who signed on. And so that's kind of the way that I look at it as I go out and I build up strategic partners and how I keep it organized, at least from the partnership side. And then on cold outreach, I really look at it as in terms of like there's the biggest metric is how many calls you book and then how many of those actually are qualified potential customers. You know, I don't care much about open rates or stuff like that. I know like you can kind of get into those, but I, I really just look at those bottom line metrics and you can kind of optimize open rates if you're doing enough of them. But really just looking at the calls booked and the quality of relationships and deals that actually come out of that is really the, the metrics to measure. Yeah. And just to offer the suggestion that Leah and I offered in our episode with Elise, beyond that sort of data specific information, like Jake was mentioning to, you could track in a spreadsheet or a CRM, although Leah and I did the spreadsheet thing and it really becomes hell after a while. So invest <laughs> in CRM, but for the things that are less tangible, that are less data and they're more like, Oh, I feel like this happened because of this. We have a marketing success spreadsheet and maybe we just get a nice email from somebody once or Leah's on a call and they make a nice compliment about a blog post we wrote. So it's nothing truly measurable in the sense that something's been closed or anything, but they're just general feelings that we're like, yeah, I think we're on the right path. Let's make sure to note this so we realize we're on the right path. Nice, I like that. So Jake, do you have any final advice or resources about strategic partnerships? Uh, I'd say the biggest thing is just to think, you know, through who are the software vendors or platforms that you could partner with? Think through, are there any influencers out there who are speaking to your audience of customers that you could partner with? And then third would be, you know, are there any other businesses out there that sell complementary products or services to the same market that you have? Um, and so just trying to think through those three criteria as a framework, as you're brainstorming strategic partnerships, I think those should hopefully help people kind of, you know, get in a good direction there. How about advice or resources for cold outreach? Uh, cold outreach, I'd say the, the biggest advice I have is you have to be comfortable with getting no's um, with that and a lot of no <laughs> responses. But it's something that, again, you just you can't expect to just send 10 emails and not ever follow up and think you're going to get business. You have to commit to it. You have to say, hey, we're going to send 100 emails at least before we give up on this. And we're going to send, you know, four to five follow ups on these and try to touch points through social media. So don't go send 10 emails and then come back saying cold outreach doesn't work. So <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. 
So that's all the time we have for today. But before we finish up, we've got our rapid fire 10 questions so our listeners can get to know you a bit better. All right. Are you ready, Jake? I'm ready. Okay. First question. Introvert or extrovert? Introvert. The power is going to be out for the next week. What food from the fridge do you eat first? Ooh, I have to say pineapple just because it's on top of mind right now. And I just ate a bunch of pineapple before this call. So, <laughs> What's your favorite website for fun? Uh, favorite website for fun? Probably Vimeo staff picks. Ooh. What's the last thing you read? Last thing I read, I'm currently reading Sapiens. So mm. yeah, crazy book about the history of humankind. What's the best piece of professional advice you've received? Read How to Win Friends and Don't Influence People. Game changer of a book. So, yeah. <laughs> What's the worst piece of professional advice you've received? Um, someone who says that hiring a bunch of employees is, is success in business. Mm. <laughs> What's your favorite color? Uh, I've always said orange as a kid, but I don't really know why. So, it's orange or blue. I don't know. <laughs> if you could take us to one restaurant in your town, where would we go? Uh, I currently live in the middle of nowhere, so I don't really have any. But <laughs> if I were back in Nashville, I'd take you guys to Calypso Cafe. So, What kind of food is uh, that? It's Mediterranean. Ooh. What's your favorite board game? Ooh, We have quite the collection. Let me take a look. Monopoly Deal is quite a good one. Categories. Man, there's so the many. Game. Mastermind. I'm just looking. The, the game is actually the one called The Game, which is a cooperative one. That's another one. So I just glanced over at my board game shelf. <laughs> all right. Last question. Hulu or Netflix? Uh, Netflix. Very cool. So that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me on here. In case our listeners want to follow up with you, where can they find you online? Uh, all my blogging and content is at jake-jorgovin.com. So that's where you can find podcast, blog, all that kind of stuff. And then if you're interested in the LinkedIn lead generation service that I've recently spun up, uh, that is at leadcookie.com. Awesome. Thanks again for joining us, Jake. This has been another chock full of practical information episode. We really appreciate it. From thanks for having me on. Control Click is produced by Bright Umbrella, a web services agency invested in education and social good. Today's podcast would not be possible without the support of this episode's sponsors. Many thanks to FosterMade. We'd also like to thank our hosting partner, Architect, who wanted an extra shout out at the top of this episode. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you want to know more about Control Click, make sure you follow us on Twitter at ControlClickCast or visit our website, ControlClickCast.com. And if you like this episode, please give us a review on Stitcher or iTunes or both. Links are in our show notes and on our site. Don't forget to tune in to our next episode when we have Jamie Strakin to talk about mental health and debugging our feelings. Be sure to check out controlclickcast.com slash schedule for more upcoming topics. This is Leah Alcantara and Emily Lewis signing off for Control Clickcast. See you next time. Cheers. <laughs>